What I think is so important is that we really need to start addressing our diets and the way we eat. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to go vegan. I mean, I'm not vegan myself, but we need to stop acting like assholes when it comes to the way we eat and purely just you know, be eating on a selfish level. We just need to be smarter about this and just um, think about the effect that this is having. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Some operators come along with a vision so compelling it changes your perceptions of food. Vegan and vegetarian food has long been ridiculed, but thanks to some amazing operators, its value has had a paradigm shift. With the world facing a crisis like never before, will our diets come into question too? Shannon Martinez is the owner of Melbourne Smith & Daughters and Smith & Deli where she's changed the conversation of vegan eating down under. Shannon, how are you going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I want to talk about a lot of things today, but um, can we just start by talking about how you felt and, and sort of what happened as the ramifications of the pandemic affected the hospitality sector? Yeah, um, I, I'm quite obsessive about reading the news in general, Um probably to a detriment. Uh, so I'd been following this since probably very early January and was pretty confident within my own mind that shit was going to hit the fan big time, um, you know, and, and uh, I kind of in my own way was already starting a game plan in case the worst came about, which it did. Uh, so I, I think... If for me, having the deli has been super fortunate because the business model itself didn't really have to change uh, with all the restrictions. I mean, the only thing that had to change for the deli really was that we had to limit the amount of people that were allowed in the store. But in terms of the way we serve and things like that, the only thing we did was actually add a delivery service. So the deli hasn't particularly been hit that hard by this, but the restaurant is fucked, um, like everybody's restaurant, I guess. I think we're down about 80%. Uh, you know, and it just, it started getting really exhausting and, and I love being super proactive and optimistic about even the shittiest situations, uh, especially as an owner and, you know, I've got over 40 staff to look after and, and for me, you know, the attitude of a boss is so important because it, it really sort of guides as the way that your staff then in turn deal with the situation. Uh, so for me, no matter how shit things were getting, do you know, I, I always feel it's really important for me to sort of keep that face on and look positive and not look too stressed because I feel like the moment sort of the boss goes down, the staff sort of start freaking out as well, you know. And so um, every time we had a meeting trying to figure out how we were going to deal with this, it literally, and at one point it literally did happen, by the end of the meeting the rules had changed again and that, was exhausting. That was when I started getting exhausted. You know, it's um, shitty wording by the government on the rules and what we're allowed to do and all these things and so many gaps and so many places for us to sort of try and put these things into action and then us not have read something right purely because they've left it very vague, um, you know, and then so staffing or whatever it may be, we come up with a new roster and then an hour and a half later, that roster's in the bin and we have to redo it. And then that, that's that been the most draining part for me, I think, in terms of um, keeping staff morale up and all that sort of thing because 
you don't want to look like an idiot that doesn't know what they're doing. But right now, none of us know what we're doing, you know? What, what's been the impact on you personally, like trying to sort of stay positive for your staff and and stay strong and, and not having control of any of the situation? Like what's the personal toll been for you? Uh, I'm tired, you know, and uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always up. It's in like uh, physically, mentally, I, I'm generally super positive and proactive within my business and myself and I don't ever let get things get to me or get me down and I can use the shittiest situation as a positive but this thing has fucked me a bit and, um, and I'm able to put on that face for work uh, and customers and things and, and also, I mean, we're all going through it. So to me, it's like, what's the point in complaining about it right now? Like we're all screwed. So I don't want to be a negative force. But when I'm home and I also moved house at the same, right at the beginning of this on my own as well. And I was moving a six-year-old house on my own was a nightmare. <laughs> so it's been, the minute I get home, it's just, it's crushing me a little bit, you know. And I wrote a book and almost, I finished a book at the same time and starting a new book at the same time. So um, it's a lot and I, it's been a pretty heavy weight on my shoulders and the responsibility of looking after so many people, especially after just becoming the sole owner of my business as well, like the timing for that. I, it, there's a lot of pressure to deal with these things on your own. Um, so, yeah, it's heavy. <laughs> Over the last eight weeks, um, you know, you've had the deli, which has been, you know, a shining light and allowed you to sort of con- keep business going um, and you've had to close the other restaurant, you know, what, what has it actually been like and um, what have you done to adapt and sort of survive in this period? Um, so the restaurant, uh, well, I think we, we almost overnight changed it into a grocery store. The minutes that we found out what was happening, we joined up with Northside straight away we actually initially were going to turn the restaurant into a pop-up store for them um and make it a fruit and vegetable store during the day like a produce store during the day but then they kind of got hit as well by their uh suppliers in the markets and things like that so they weren't even able to do that uh and then with north side sort of customer base like all the restaurants closing down they didn't have enough customers either and so like i was saying before our first plan of turning the restaurant into a grocery store um uh, well, it, it did happen, to be fair. We still turned it into a grocery store and that was literally the next day that that happened. So I was really proud of my team and my business for being able to just flip our whole model within 24 hours. Um, and then the takeaway and the delivery, uh, that's happened. But, I mean, there's only so far. I, I never thought that that was going to be really a cure for any of this. Do you know, it's it's takeaway and delivery and, and people, I knew that, at the start, it would be okay because we all sort of still had some money, but a month down the track when people were sort of getting a little bit financially tight, you know, um, that, that was going to become a luxury and not like an every night thing. Uh, so I knew that wasn't really sustainable. And, and the thing that everyone was promoting, which in theory was great, but, you know, the buy a gift voucher now and oh, buy a voucher now and spend it when everyone's reopened. But the fact is we might not all be open afterwards. So that in itself wasn't particularly a great thing either and definitely not enough to save us. You know, the restaurant's down 80% at the moment um, and it's just – it's a bit crushing, you know, when you see the end of the night and you've taken 1500 bucks. I mean, that's never happened to us ever uh, and and that was – and we were excited by that, you know. <laughs> um, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we've got – we're going to be opening with 20 at the beginning of next month. That's our rule here. Um, but I'm still trying to – like I was saying before, like not understanding or not being able to quite make – uh, you know, like I'm not, I'm not understanding what the government is saying. I'm not sure whether my outdoor seating classifies as the 20-person enclosed area thing that I'm allowed. So if I can have my outdoor seating, that technically means then I can have 32 people in one sitting. So if I can do two to three sittings, which generally on, on our normal service, we'll have two to three sittings anyway. So we'll rejig our sort of timing. Um, and allowing half an hour gaps between them. So we should be able to get about 100 in a night if we can make that work. So for now, that's good. We're going to keep running takeaway for now. I don't really want to have to do that in the future. It's not something I'm really enjoying, uh, especially just the sort of food that we want to sell now. We're keeping a separate menu, obviously, for the takeaway stuff. But um, that's the plan for now. But it's just a little scary because, you know, it's um, – it, We've survived this far as an industry, just not really, but you know we've, we're we're getting there. But I feel like if we reopen and say a customer comes in who may not be showing signs of something, and then they come up later on that they have, and then it traces back that they were at Smith and Daughters or something, then that sort of stigma gets stuck to the restaurant, and that could be the last sort of nail in the coffin. And whether or not it had anything to do with us, it's like the McDonald's thing, you know, it's like the name gets stuck to it, and then you kind of screwed after that. And so that's a little bit scary as well. Does that make you want to hesitate or or wait in regards to opening until things are a little bit clearer? Yeah, I think we're pushing it a bit far. I mean, you know, it's it's taken this long and I think uh, another few weeks, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but we, we can continue the way we are for another few weeks just to be super safe. And I think that everyone is like the, for the first minute they started talking about easing restrictions, everyone was out acting like idiots again. Do you know, and I was at a supermarket and people are like, you know, p- putting their arms over me to grab an apple or something. And it's like, what the fuck are you all doing? Like the minute we talk about easing restrictions, everyone's just back to normal. And I'm like, this is exactly what I knew was going to happen. And this is exactly the shit that's going to happen, um, you know, at restaurants too, I think, in terms of maybe customers. And I, and I get it. I want to go out and get drunk and eat in a restaurant too, like as much as anyone else. But for the sake of a few more weeks, like we've come this far to then just become impatient. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's the smartest thing to do. And I'd like to say that I that um, I, I, I hope that people would be smart enough to just chill and take it easy as we you know sort of start moving forward. But I don't think we will. You know that sort of sense of concern that you have for the community and our society. You know you've you've changed the conversation in regards to vegetarian and vegan food in Australia quite significantly. And, you know, there's a lot of people relying and championing what you do. You know, what's the process been, uh, given that you're such a hub for um, someone who might enjoy this kind of cuisine or diet or just, you know, love what you do? Um, how difficult has it been um, for those in the community that, you know, might eat at your restaurant, you know, three or four times a week yeah <clears throat> well luckily for them the deli is still pumping and we've upped all our meals there to make sure that those people are catered for um like our we've always done um ready meals for home and and frozen sort of meals and things like that and so that's just been upped 
massively. So a lot of my staff from the restaurant who we don't have all the hours for at the moment are, uh, are making up for those hours at the deli. So that's running kind of overtime at the moment, um, which has been really useful. But um, it, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing, and again, I'm not so hopeful for humans as a whole, but I'd love to see people really start focusing on diet here with what's been going on with the COVID-19 thing and veganism as a whole. And I know people say I'm hypocritical because I have vegan restaurants and businesses and I'm not vegan or anything. But what I think is so important is that we really need to start addressing our diets and the way we eat. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to go vegan. I mean, I'm not vegan myself, but we need to stop acting like assholes when it comes to the way we eat and purely just, you know, be eating on a selfish level. Um, and, and, you know, if you don't want to go vegan or you don't want to go vegetarian, we just need to be smarter about this and just um, think about the effect that this is having and, you know, like the, the likelihood that this is all stemmed from a food situation essentially um, and the conditions that animals are kept in and all these sort of things. I mean, this can all be traced back to the, our diets and our need for having whatever we want whenever we want. Why did you start down the, the track of vegetarian and veganism if that's not your own diet? Because um, I'm, I'm a chef number one and, and cooking for people is my life and what I love to do and – um, back in the day, as in 15 years ago, when I really started focusing on vegan food, it was the first time I'd ever worked in a venue where anyone even asked me for a vegan dish, and that was at the East Brunswick Club. And I guess because of the venue and the clientele, that was bound to happen at some point, uh, you know, because it wasn't restauranty or hotel-based or anything like that I'd sort of been working in in the past. And, uh, I, I mean, 15 years ago, you didn't really hear the word vegan ever. Vegetarian, like for sure. Um, but even that wasn't really a massive focus, you know, a vegetarian dish. You'd probably get Napoli and some parmesan and that'd be it or, <laughs> you know, pumpkin and a goat's cheese salad or some stupid shit like that. Um, but it, veganism was not. And I, I literally, I have the book on my shelf and while I moved house, I got rid of, you know, a few books. Um, but I made sure I kept this one and it was like, you know, the idiot's guide to or the dummy's guide to and then it will be like whatever topic. I've got the idiot, the dummy's guide to opening a restaurant and I've got the dummy's guide to veganism. Uh, and that was over 15 years ago and I bought that book because I literally had no idea about it. But what I did know was there was a whole heap of people out there that were eating a certain way and no one was looking after them. Um, and that to me was really shit, you know, because for me, for anyone who's not vegan, uh, we get to go out and have these incredible dining experiences whenever we want. And there's a whole demographic of people that weren't being looked after. And as a chef, like our job is to cater for people and to give them these beautiful dining experiences. So I just decided that that was going to be me. And I think maybe, um, uh, I, I do have a tendency to get bored very quickly and I like to um, be pushed all the time. So to jump from knowing how to make most things pretty well to having no idea and having to teach myself from scratch and, and there weren't really a lot of books either to teach me anything so I really had to learn my own techniques myself. Uh, that was super exciting for me. So I started this purely um, from a creative point of view and and a catering point of view because I wanted to give this uh, experience to people. What sort of dishes do you, have you created more recently that could sort of show a great example of how great vegan food can be and 
how normal it can be given that it's been stigmatised so much over time. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if anyone's ever looked at my Instagram page at all, literally everything <laughs> I make <laughs> uh, is a replication of something that has not been. Nice plug. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if you guys have a. Yeah, anyway, sorry. <laughs> but it's, it's like the theme of my food is pretty much if I wake up and whatever I crave that day, I only get to have for dinner if I can make it vegan. So that's kind of how I challenge myself to make these things every day, you know. And so um, uh, it was Velvasore. He he posted, it was like meatballs and polenta. Um, And I've been craving that. And I saw him post it that morning. I'm like, right, that's it. Okay, so I'm going to make exactly that, but I'm going to make it completely vegan. Um, And I need it to look just kind of like his because that's all I wanted. Like once I saw that image, that's what I wanted to eat that day. Um, So that's really what what I focus on is is that. And I think that's why the vegan food that we do at Smith & Daughters and the deli attracts so many non-vegans, you know, because it's a familiar food or for vegans that maybe have missed certain things, you know, if they've grown up in European families or whatever it is, whatever family, You've grown up eating – most people aren't born vegan, that's a fact. Um, and we've grown up with these massive memories, food memories from our grandparents or our parents or whatever it may be or from travelling. You know, you, you know, it's like when, when you travel, food is such a massive component of that, going to the markets. Even for me, like I love going to supermarkets when I travel just to see what their normal everyday stuff is, you know. I think you learn so much from a culture just by going to the markets and the supermarkets and bars. Like when I when I go overseas, I don't go to – tourist spots. I don't go to the Big Ben and all that dumb shit. I'll do that when I'm 75 and don't want to get wasted in bars anymore. Like right now, I want to be up till five in the morning going through the back streets, you know, stumbling around, meeting random people, taking, you know, and then taking me to these crazy little bars that you would never know about. That's how you experience a culture in my mind. Okay. So a little earlier, I just want to pull you up on something because I found it really fascinating, you know, Mm -hmm. about creating dishes you know is there something that you've craved that you haven't been able to nail yet yeah it's not something that I particularly crave but not being able to do something is enough for me to obsess over it and that's um a really good shoe pastry I've gotten so close so many times but Smith and Daughters didn't get to where it is from being close to the real thing it it had to be just as good as the real thing. And shoe pastry, I just can't nail at all. And it drives me insane. And I've been trying for years <laughs> on and off. Um, and once I start on my tangent, I'm up to like three in the morning, my house, my bin is full of failures. And it's just a reminder of how useless I am at trying to get this thing done. Um, and, you know, with, and I've had people's vegan versions of it before and it's just not and there's so many times and such a pattern with vegan food is that you know someone will call something a croissant and it's not it's just bread dough or donut dough shaped into a croissant and that is not what a croissant is do you know and I understand that um, people will say that what I do isn't a croissant either but it's different you know it's like we use the same techniques we're laminating we're making butters we're doing all those things and and the final product is better than some croissants that I've had made with real butter and and beside that the process is exactly the same but you know it's just that whole um, 
uh, mentality of good enough for vegan really pisses me off. Um, and it's what held back vegan food for so long and why it never moved forward and never was able to get out of that hole it was in of just sort of being that joke cuisine or, or the thing that no one took seriously or it was a constant eye roll in the kitchen when someone would come in and say they were vegan, you know. Um, and, and I think a big part of what has helped move it forward is is um, that persistence of making sure that until something is as close to the real thing as possible, it's just not going to get sold at my shops. Yeah. So shoe pastry. I don't even like this shit, but because <laughs> I can't do it, <laughs> but because I can't do it, I'm obsessed about it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll fall in love with it when you nail it. Maybe, or I'll nail it and then never, ever want to see it again. It's probably more <laughs> likely knowing me. <laughs> so... You know, why Why are you running a restaurant? What do you love about restaurants? Oh, right now, I don't love anything about it, to be honest. And I ask myself all the time why I do it. And um, I don't love run running a restaurant, to be fair. Uh, it's the most stressful thing you could possibly do. I love cooking and I love feeding people. But running a restaurant isn't – those parts of it are, are the, the tiny part of it, you know, and – and the business side of it and the staff side of it and all the things that go along with it sort of sometimes can really dampen, I guess, your passion for what you do and having this sort of time to slow down a little bit during this whole coronavirus thing has um, allowed me to focus a bit more on food. You know, I'm using this time for the next cookbook and, uh, and being able to just sit at home and really work with food again, you know, and, and get back into it. And it just sort of reminds you about why you do this. It's just because food is everything to me, you know, but unfortunately food sort of takes a bit of a step back when you become a restaurant owner and your job becomes being an HR person and a bookkeeper and all this shit. And I don't, I, I didn't, I'm a chef. I'm not any of those things, you know, and, and I guess, maybe being a part of the last generation to come out of kitchens that are that ran from the old school mentality, it's been quite hard shifting the way I think about staff complaints and hours and all those things because that's not how I was raised in kitchens at all. Um, and I think it's, it's been hard for, for chefs of my age because we've been expected to change our entire mindset so fast uh, and I think that's why um, there's been issues in the industry because not out of out of um, disrespect for people or anything like that, but it's just we've literally had to completely change the way we've been trained overnight um, and been expected to do it perfectly straight away. And um, that's been really tricky um, in, in some aspects for, for a lot of people, you know, and even for myself. Uh, I, I'm not the most compassionate person, I guess, when it comes to certain things. I'm very empathetic when, when it's genuine, but when I hear people tell me that they have no work-life balance after a 38-hour week or something, that's just, I just have to walk away sometimes, you know, <laughs> because that if I just think about what would have happened if I said that back when I was their age and I would have had my ass kicked. So, so yeah, yeah. What are, the, what are the positives moving forward to come out of this situation? And, you know, will, it, will you change the way that you run your restaurant because of, because of this? Um, I was asked a similar question the other day and I think really to think that there could be any positives to come out of COVID is weird. I think that this has been nothing but destructive to our industry. I think maybe the only thing that might 
come from this, although I'm doubtful, is it may shine some light on um, how important this industry is to our country, especially and especially in Melbourne, you know, like hospitality is what pushes this state, you know, forward and, and it's what we're known for. And the way that the government um, fucks us in terms of taxes and rates and all these things, it's just... You know, you, you open up a business thinking you want to work for yourself and you don't. You open a business to become an employee for the government. And it's just when I see it's just impossible to get ahead. Absolutely impossible with, um, with, with the increase of everything, taxes, all that stuff. But then our inability to really pass that forward to the customers. Um, and, and I hope maybe from this people will see the value in what we do as an industry. Uh, I hope they miss it so much that they get it, you know, and don't take it for granted. Uh, and in Melbourne, how lucky we are with the quality and the standard. And, and I think what we do better than anyone is that casual dining in Melbourne, you know, that affordability where you can go out and have the most beautiful time eating, you know, amazing food and drinking amazing booze. And, and, and it's affordable. And we're so lucky here for that. So I hope that the public become aware and a little bit more understanding of what we have and maybe willing to dig a little deeper to pay what it's actually worth uh, because if it continues the way it is, it's just, it just, it's just not sustainable. We just can't keep doing it, you know, and I, I haven't had a pay rise since I opened the restaurant and God, I can only imagine, you know, like we don't do it for the money, that's for sure and doing it for the passion is starting to wear a bit thin. So I hope some things like in, in that aspect change because it's, um, it's pretty unforgiving at times. You know, earlier you sort of said that you're probably going to open up when the 20-seat rule comes in. Um, how's it going to mm -hmm. feel when you get to open the doors again and you get to cook for the people that come in quite regularly again? Well, I mean, it's what, it's what we live for, I guess, you know, and it is going to feel weird and we're going to try and move the restaurant around a little bit so it doesn't look like some weird kind of waiting room I might try and remodel it a bit we've been kind of doing some little DIY renovations while it's been shut to give the staff some things to do as well so I want to reopen the space having it had a little bit of a makeover you know make it a bit special I'm even thinking about possibly hiring out the restaurant um so people can have private dinner parties of up to 20 so we can give them a really personal experience. And I even actually considered doing a bit of a Smith and Daughters at home uh, before the, I mean, like I was saying to you before, the amount of things and ideas we've come up with uh, to try and battle this day by day. One of the ideas was actually that we did Smith and Daughters at home. And when people, because we, we were initially, they were saying we could have 10 people in our homes, but then Victoria did five. So for 10, we were thinking that we could bring the restaurant to people because 10 people in a restaurant is super shit, but 10 people in a house is a party, you know? <laughs> so I was actually thinking about going to people's houses, you know, and, and cooking for them in their homes and they can watch while we cook together or something and then we can have a party in their house. And I thought that would have been a fucking cool idea. Um, but then we got the rules of five people and that's kind of a bit weird because that, that could be a bit awkward. Um, so... Uh, those, those are all things we're still sort of throwing around in the meantime. I mean, they, they, they worded it in a way where it was like, we'll, we'll start with 20 and then it will go up to 30 and then it will go up to or, or 50 and then to 100. But they also sort of said it in a way where it didn't remind people that that one per four square metre rule still applied. So unless you're some huge beer hall 
Like my restaurant's quite large. We sit nearly 100 people anyway, and we're still only allowed to have 25 max with that rule. So we're looking at August until we can sit more than 25 people. So it's still a really long time. And, and uh, I'd like to still try and implement a few of these new ideas. So I'm thinking about, you know, with, with offices going back into business, um, sort of team building exercises where they can come into the restaurant during the day have their staff coming back, regroup as a business, all those sort of things, and sort of figure out how our restaurant can fit within the community and help rebuild everybody collectively by them helping us, us helping them, providing a space which is safe and, you know, um, hygienic and the staff can feel like, you know, it's their own space for four hours and they can do whatever corporate people do. What is that, PowerPoint presentations or something? I don't know. <laughs> 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 um, but things like that, you know. And, um, but it's just constantly having to reinvent yourself is uh, it's exhausting. I just want to cook, man. <laughs> well, um, God. I think it uh, is a pretty crazy time and um, you're pretty full. I look forward to hearing all of the challenges um, and there's sort of various uh, moves you pull in the next period of time. But um, your energy is pretty intoxicating. Oh, thanks. Bud. And um, really appreciate you sharing your, um, your time with us today. No, thanks for having me on. Um, keep in touch. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for doing what you're doing. It's awesome. Thank you. And um, keep in touch and we'll talk soon. Yeah, for sure. All right. Have a good day, buddy. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.